0: My dad just came out saying he was living a double life. There was so much brokenness in our family. And then I had this rape and the all of the issues and pain and counseling and therapy and police investigation reports that came from that. And then finally, like just dealing with, it was my senior year of college and I was the captain of the volleyball team. And I had all of these courses that I was finishing up and all of this, and it was like, that is so overwhelming. And there was no way I was going to think of leading a trip because I just, I wasn't as holy and, and spiritual as all these other women, you know? And I thought, well, you should absolutely pick one of them. Not me, not me who's working through the pain and who is broken. But that I think is what God does, right? He, he doesn't just call all the quipped people. He equips those that he calls, and he's going to use those situations and, and work together behind the scenes to bring about these beautiful stories that we can finally find redemption and restoration. And I mean, don't get me wrong, it took me years and years to process all of that pain and to really not even come to terms with it, because I don't think I ever will, but it's just knowing that my life is about making Christ known even in the worst of pain, because it's very easy to showcase the glory of God when we're going through nothing.
1: Thanks for tuning in to the Reframing Ministries podcast, where we provide strength for today and hope for tomorrow for caregivers and their families. We'd love to hear how these episodes have helped you. After rating, would you share your story in the review section of your preferred podcast app? Our team at Reframing Ministries loves to hear stories of hope and healing, and now we've played a small part in them. Here's our host, Colleen Swindoll-Thompson.
2: Welcome to another Reframing Ministries podcast and interview. My guest today is going to speak into your heart. and provide comfort like very few of us are finding out in the world today. Nicole Jacobs-Meyer, thank you so much for being with me today.
0: Thank you so much, Colleen.
2: One of the things that gripped me right from the beginning was when you started out with, we've all had days when we feel like life could not get any crazier or more chaotic. Days when our bodies are aching, our minds are weary. Days that are excruciatingly painful debilitating and wishing that Jesus would just take us home. Do you ever have days like that or weeks or years when life feels so overwhelming that you don't know how to take your first or next step, or you're so desperate and you think the darkness will be there forever? Nicole, can you speak into those lines? Those words are so hard, but yet so many people are feeling them today.
0: Yeah, I think having a decade of trials and trauma and pain, you really get to that place of just desperation before the Lord trying to make sense of it all, trying to understand those hard questions of how a good and loving God can allow these hardships, but also understanding our need for him and our responsibility in the process and how we need to stay grounded in the word and go back to the truth of his character and having that biblical foundation. And that is something that took me a while to finally get to that point of understanding. And so those words, while they still grip me, because how desperately I need a savior in every moment, that's where I've come.
2: I mean, let's just go back to growing up. It sounded like things were fairly good. And there weren't a lot of challenges. And then something happened in a relationship.
0: Yeah. So like you just said, I had Christian family, Christian upbringing, had the Bible studies and Sunday schools and prayer groups, and really just had this sweet little bubble of um, innocence and a good Christian background. And it wasn't until my early twenties that I really had to understand the correlation between Christ's joy and my suffering and what that looks like. And I was raped in my early twenties and had to understand and make sense of all of the things that i grew up understanding that god is supposed to be my protector he's supposed to be my provider my healer my defender all of these things that we read about we sing about we pray for and i truly believed that but then when when what i was reading wasn't matching what i was walking through how do you make sense of that and and that's really when all of those feelings and doubts and questions um, started to kind of culminate into this story of understanding suffering.
2: I mean, wh- how
0: did you? It's
2: one thing to say to understand it, but working through yeah. being raped. Yeah. And then the aftermath of that and thinking, where were you, God? Yeah, mm-hmm. you're right. Jesus is our protector, he promises to be that.
0: Yeah.
2: How did you find resolve to that tension?
0: I honestly feel like I would have walked away from my faith completely in that time if it wasn't for the missions director who is also in women's ministry. And she called me into her office and I had no idea what she was going to ask me about and, or talk to me about anything. I didn't know. And right when I got in there, she asked me to lead the Nepal missions trip that following summer. Well, I completely rejected that. And I said, absolutely not. I am in no place to lead. I don't even know if I love God right now because I'm so hurt. I'm feeling so broken, so betrayed, um, very confused in my faith. And she looked at me and said, This is exactly why I want you to lead the trip because you are so broken and in your complete desperation and weakness, Christ is going to be made known in your life and through the people um, in Nepal and on the team and everywhere. And I just started bawling because I was so broken and felt so defeated that maybe never, I would never get a second chance. I thought maybe no one was going to believe in me, but she saw me. As Jesus sees us, and that lens of which she was responding in and seeing me through was just life changing, and it set me on a trajectory of okay, I I'm gonna be leading, so I need to take responsibility and serve and love and dive into the Word and like do all these things not because I have to, but it was something that started to become a desire, and God was so good in that because He knew that. Worship and reading some of this Bible probably wasn't going to get me back on track, but it was through that service and responsibility that he allowed that to be in my life to get me on track again.
2: So, how soon after the rape did you meet with her?
0: Oh, it was like a couple of weeks. <laughs> so, it
2: was really yeah. quickly. Was it she aware really of all that yeah. had happened?
0: No, she wasn't. So I ended up telling her everything, you know, of saying, well, here, my dad just came out saying he was living a double life. There was so much brokenness in our family. And then I had this rape and the, all of the issues and pain and counseling and therapy and police investigation reports that came from that. And then finally, like just dealing with, it was my senior year of college and I was the captain of the volleyball team and I had all of these courses that I was finishing up and all of this and it was like that is so overwhelming and there was no way I was going to think of leading a trip because I just I wasn't as holy and and spiritual as all these other women you know and I thought well you should absolutely pick one of them not me not me who's working through the pain and who is broken but that I think is what God does, right? Mm -hmm. He he doesn't just call all the equipped people. He equips those that he calls and he's going to use those situations and, and work together behind the scenes to bring about these beautiful stories that we can finally find redemption and restoration. And I mean, don't get me wrong, it took me years and years to process all of that pain and to really not even come to terms with it because I don't think I ever will. But it's just knowing that my life is about making Christ known even in the worst of pain, because it's very easy to showcase the glory of God when we're going through nothing.
2: And that's so true. You just said something so powerful. It's easy to showcase the glory of God when we are going through really nothing. Right now in our world, I think everyone is going through something. And yet my question is, why do we struggle with having those who are struggling go on a missions trip and be a part of a team? Because that's, that fed you your family was breaking up your dad was living a double life you were just recently raped and within a month you're called to go on a mission trip completely broken
0: i think sharing in each other's sufferings and getting outside of yourself is so good and necessary and it was for me too and i'm not saying skip past the pain and I'm not saying like, oh, just shove all of that aside. Let's just power through because there's absolutely a time for rest and healing and counseling and all of those things. But to understand that everybody is fighting a battle and everybody is suffering in some way, and maybe they're not posting about it on Instagram and social media. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're just showcasing the good things as we all do. We all like to do that. but. It's when we do share in those sorrows and in the pain that it's like, I am not alone. I am not the only one going through hardships and going through suffering, that there are so many people around me that are going through horrible things as well. And that's not to diminish what you're walking through. It's just to recognize the bigger overarching story that God is allowing us to participate in instead of being so centered on, you know, yourself and being like, woe is me. Cause I did that. And that was a nasty place to live.
2: <laughs> well, and I want to talk about that. I also want to talk about the sense of urgency that you mentioned. Um, when we go through those painful experiences, you talk about Mary and Martha and Lazarus and how Jesus waited and mm-hmm. their dear friend dies. I, I can't imagine the experience of Jesus showing up and not wanting to yell at him and say, "Where were you? You right. you could have been here." Right. How did you move through those experiences of urgency, like Lord, where are you?
0: Yeah. Oh, I I still feel like I do that sometimes. You know, when when pain comes, it's so easy to just say why and to put it on God and just say where were you what are you doing why and i think the biggest thing was the control factor for me i just wanted to understand i wanted to i wanted to know i wanted to have some resolve i wanted to know five steps ahead i wanted god to use my pain and but i wanted to see it now and so this long suffering and this endurance and the in the process of growth and sanctification, that was something that was so foreign to me because I was always moving right to the next thing. And to finally sit in that and to come to grips with this pain that you're walking through and realizing, okay, I can wrestle with this and sit in it. And that process is going to be good. And I have to trust that God is who he says he is. That he is on his throne and he is orchestrating and working and, you know, the spirit is interceding for us. I mean, there's just so much that we don't see. And yet I think I, this little finite little human, know best. I mean, it's like, you got to come to terms with that and know your place, you know?
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's so interesting because I think one of the biggest tensions we live with as Christians is that sense of unresolved. It's the polarity. Um, It's the, God is good. My experiences have not been what I would say are good. God is my protector, but I was not protected in this experience. Exactly. When you sit in that, which you talk about so well, you said, let's start meeting people where they are in their chaos and in the loneliness, their financial strain, in their brokenness. I believe God uses our pain for a higher purpose to bring other people closer to him and shared experiences have power. Mm -hmm. You just mentioned that about a shared experience it's very hard when you're suffering to get out of that lonely spot because isolation is what we want to do. How did you move through that and not isolate?
0: I think reading the word and reminding myself and allowing the spirit to reveal those stories throughout scripture of how God showcases his miracles because of suffering and pain and it just reminds me, you know, of, of John nine, three of the man that was born blind. And the disciples are so funny. Cause they're just like, Oh, Jesus is it, Was it because of his sin? Was it because of his parents? Like, why was he born blind? You know? And they wanted an answer just like, I want an answer on everything. And Jesus was so just matter of fact. And he was like, this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And that is what it's about, is once I'm not focused on, I have to find an answer, I have to know the why, I can resolve to know it's so that the works of God might be displayed in my life and other people to see that and to encourage others in that. And that's the whole point. And I just see how pain and walking through it can be our act of worship. You know, Mm. you think of Abraham and Isaac and Job going through everything. The first thing they did was worship. And that was not what I I wanted to do. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You know, it's like, that is so far from what I want to do. But why don't I go there? What is it? You know, yes, it's the selfishness and the pride and the frustration, but it's because I forget God's place and I forget mine. And if I'm able to, If I pray these things of sharing in his sufferings, like we read in Philippians and wanting him, his glory to be revealed, then I should be, my act of worship should be showcasing him in my pain. But that is so hard. It takes so much discipline and just that filling of the Holy Spirit and daily choice moment by moment. I mean, it is, it is so hard. What does worship look like
2: in that? Because I don't think that's talked about enough. That worship in the midst of our grief and pain. What did that look like for you?
0: I think it's the obedience and knowing that God is God and I am not and I can trust him. And almost this contentment in knowing that what he says, what he does, what he, the miracles that he does, the pain that he allows is all for a greater overarching story. It's not that he's out to get me. It's not that, you know, he's just wanting all this pain in my life so that I can suffer. It is so that I can focus on the greater story of what God is doing. And that is worship. You know, it doesn't have to be Like sitting and singing. It can be in that stillness. It can be in your obedience and faithfully reminding yourself every single day that he is worthy of our trust and that he is worthy of all of our doubts and questions and frustrations and bringing that to him in honesty.
1: Thanks again for listening to the Reframing Ministries podcast. If you haven't connected with us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube, we'd love to see you there. If you're looking to find a community of caregivers for advice, counsel, and soul care, join our free caregiver support group on Facebook. If you'd like to watch Colleen's interviews instead of listening only, you can find us on YouTube.
2: Now, pain did not stop with all that you experienced. It continued. And... Your husband was in medical school, which is grueling. You have three small children. And soon after, another experience happened.
0: Yes, I was so excited. I found out I got pregnant and this was our fourth and we were just elated. We were finishing medical school. We um, found out we were going to move across the country shortly after. And we're just like, this is going to be just wonderful. The cherry on top of our sweet little family. And I ended up having a miscarriage and it broke me because then that is when we did find out we were moving across the country. And I was just so, so mad and so confused and frustrated all over again. It's like all of those things, 10 years prior, I was like relearning in my anger and my questions and my doubts. And, and. I was just, I had to go back to all the things that I was trying to learn all those years ago. But then it was shortly after that, that I found out I had cancer. And then shortly after that is when we moved and my husband graduated from medical school across the country, had no family, no friends, nothing. So in this short little six month or less window, I had this miscarriage We moved across the country and I had cancer and had surgery and treatment. And my husband started his intern year of pediatric residency. And I, the whole time, was just like anger. And I'm so mad. Even I'm angry that I was angry.
2: (laughs) Yes, yes.
0: That's like, that was my initial. I wasn't worshiping. I wasn't doing these things. I wasn't taking back my joy. And it, it was so hard to relearn things but now I can look back and see like it says in Philippians 129 that there is a privilege in suffering for Christ and I get that now but I did not understand that when it first happened
2: well no how can you understand within two weeks you have a miscarriage you move across country you have no family um you're you're at a place where you're thinking, "This is the cherry on the cake. Our family's going to be complete and And now, and then cancer, and you're going through cancer recovery or cancer treatment with three little kids, a husband yeah. who you see probably once a week, and he's probably sleeping. Yep. <laughs> yep, how did you? I mean, were you like you just said, I was mad that I was mad, but was it was it like, yeah. god, i I thought I had this down. i thought yeah. I thought I knew how to suffer well. And now I'm back and
0: I'm madder than ever. That is exactly how I felt, coupled with a lot of dark depression, because I feel like I didn't, I didn't understand not only this whole idea of suffering again, but I was so mad this had to do with like my health this time. It was almost like it felt so personal before when I was raped. And then there was all that stuff with my dad. I felt so betrayed. But then it was like, and then I lost this baby and I was so upset and mourning that and moving and pulled away from my community. But then this whole cancer thing was like, that is kind of what did me in to be honest. And I went to a very dark place because I feel like, you know, you, you read in Romans that he's going to work out all things for our good and his glory, But I was thinking, is it really for my good if I don't wake up from surgery? Is it really for my family's good if they don't have a mom? Like, then you start thinking of really dark, depressing, sad questions that you don't know how to answer because it just felt feels like you know Romans eight. That wasn't really working for me. This that it's all going to work out for my good and his glory like how how do you even understand that so it was a very dark it was very dark
2: so talk to that person who is absolutely right there saying if I don't wake up how is that good for my family I have three small boys and I have cancer and I don't know if I'm going to live
0: oh, I would just want to sit with that person and cry and be like, I get this. I get it so much because I have to cling to the things that I know to be true in order to make it through the next trial. So something that I always do is I cling to these pillars in my life that I've seen God's faithfulness and that I know that he is faithful and good and sovereign and his authority is over my life. And it's all all the goodness, right. That God has done in our lives. I have to go to those pillars and maybe there's only three, maybe there's one, maybe there's one thing that you can always go back to of like, God came through for me. He not only provided, but something was redeemed or restored or healed. Those are the things you have to remember because we are the ones that change. God is unchanging. And if we remember that in him and his, his unchanging glory that is what we have to cling to and it's like those sufferings that we face like it says in Romans the sufferings that we face are nothing compared to the glory that is to be revealed so all of this all of this is for a reason and it's for a purpose and it's not to break you down because you have to be broken in order to be built and have the breakthrough and don't wanna we don't wanna talk about the fight and the suffering, but that is what grows us so that we can keep going, so that we can endure until the end. And or else we're not gonna have that endurance. And I think that's what I had to learn through that. But know that you know, you are not alone in that, that God is has not forgotten you and that the sufferings now are nothing compared to the glory that is to be revealed and to cling to those pillars of his faithfulness. Yeah, you talked a lot about
2: journaling, and you did talk a lot in your book about reminding yourself of how God has been faithful in the past, which brings you through current circumstances. I loved that you talk about surrender, but you also talk about responsibility because it's so easy for us to gravitate towards one side or the other. And you said- Def, um, defining responsible is answered answerable or accountable for something within one's power control or management i think what happens is we think responsible is well i can control everything when you're yeah. saying that's not the definition of being responsible <laughs> sometimes the most responsible thing right. is to completely release and For sure you, and I can see it right now, you're a go-getter, you get things done, there's just no mountain too high, you're gonna climb. What was that breaking point where you said, I've gotta just figure this responsible versus surrender piece out? What did that look like in that season?
0: It was after cancer. It was when I was going through treatment and I couldn't do anything. I had to be confined to my bedroom And I couldn't be around any living thing because of the radioactivity in my body. And it was just so lonely. And I thought, wow, you know what? If this is the new me, I hate it. Like if this is the way that I'm going to be the new Nicole, here we go this is horrible. And I don't want, I don't want that. I don't, my kids don't deserve that. My husband doesn't deserve that. That is a horrible way to live. Cause I was so not only just depressed, but like physically I was not myself anymore. My exhaustion levels, my hormone levels, my, all these things were just so off that I, I didn't even recognize myself. And I think getting to that point of I'm, I'm done. Like I'm done trying. I can't fix anything at this point. And like you said, I'm, I'm a fixer. I'm a go-getter. And to realize there's nothing that I can do, literally nothing. There's no options. There's nothing to do. I have to just surrender finally. And it was in that point and in that moment that I truly believe that God was like, all right, I've been waiting. Like I finally have been waiting for you to give it all. And I mean, it brings me to tears every time because I feel like we have to get to that place where we know we can't do it all, you know? And we try so hard. We try, especially I feel like women wearing many hats, we try so hard to just be it all and to be everything for everyone. And there just comes that point where you just have to release it all and say, all right, it's yours. Whatever this looks like going forward, my life is yours. And I mean, that's, that's really the gospel right there, you know, of repenting of who you are and saying, I need a savior so desperately and going forward after that. So I think it's easy to look at,
2: it's easy to look at external idols or things that we would say Mm -hmm. are idols, but how few, times do we hear about the idol of being self-sufficient? Yeah. And you talked about what came about as you finally allowed people to, Mm. to care for you, um, to let God show up through people. What was that like to
1: experience?
0: Well, I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't wash my hair. I couldn't wipe my own bottom. My husband had to do virtually everything for me. And he was such the rock and strength of our family because like I said, he started his residency career (laughs) the same week I had surgery. So he was playing multiple roles and then to care for me and to just see a different side of him in our marriage. So early on, we've only been married 10 years and it's like you you think of in sickness and health it doesn't really reach you to maybe your seventies or eighties or beyond you know but right. to think you don't of think he's your... gonna be
2: wiping your bottom when you're
0: twenty eight yeah. <laughs> yeah that's you, not, not part really... of the marriage about <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't in the plan so yeah. I think to see him in that way. And then also to see so many people just Mm -hmm. randomly be the hands and feet of the Lord to our family and to my kids, because I couldn't be mom. And when my husband was working and I was upstairs trying to heal and rest and all the things, someone had to be mom and people were just so gracious and kind and loving. And you know what, it is so good to see people other than yourself kind of take the wheel sometimes like having the Lord obviously take the wheel, but also other people just display their strengths, you know, and not be everything to everyone. It's God is using all of us, not just like me and my family and this control, this tight grip. It's, it's so big. It's so much bigger than we can think.
2: What I'm hearing is just a tremendous, a a tremendous amount of, um humility that was being carved into your soul if you can't yeah. wash your own hair and you can't bathe yourself how long were you mm. in that place
0: only a couple of weeks um so thankfully it wasn't much longer but it definitely definitely etched out that that pride in me when i had to ask for help cuz i don't like asking for help and now i was completely helpless so yeah. there's nothing you can really do. And the Lord knew that it was going to take, take a lot of um, a lot of helplessness for me to even understand that that was a problem that needed to be sanctified.
2: (laughs) What were some of the things that people did for you that were most comforting?
0: I think just caring and loving my kids, bringing meals like it wasn't even about what people did for me. It was almost what people did for my family because they were so, my kids were so little and it just broke my heart that like, I'm, I'm a very involved mom and it just killed me to not be there and to, you know, not pick them up from school and not to have a good summer with them and like all the things, but Seeing how other people would take them to the park or buy them some new toys that they loved or, you know, read them books, just loving on my family and bringing meals and things to cheer them up was just everything in that time.
2: Which is so interesting that you say that because not one, not one of those things included someone saying something to you, a Bible verse or saying, um, well, God is going to be good, or but they didn't have to say a word, which takes a lot oh, of no. pressure off of us. It you don't does. have to talk to care. Yes, and that's that profound. So true. You also talked about um, in learning the difference between surrender and responsibility, there were seven ways um, to be responsible, also surrendered. To uh, be more selfless, to be more understanding into action, to laugh as often as you can, to notice the beauty around you, find activities that bring you peace, live in the moment, embrace the therapeutic approaches. Which one of those came easy and which one of those was hard?
0: I feel like as you read all those, I was reminded that I was writing those down as I was learning and trying to like take back my own joy in that same season, because it was so hard. And I, I feel like I wrote all of this stuff out of my own pain and things that I needed to learn. And so I think the, the best, the easiest one for me is honestly the probably take the therapeutic approaches. Mm -hmm. Like I'm because I'm a get it done person. Mm -hmm. I don't wallow very much. And so if I need to, if I realize my mental health is off and I need to sign up for counseling, like I will go do it tomorrow. You know, I, I do things what I need, I do what I need to do. Um, but the hard ones I think are just in staying in that spot of rest and, and thankfulness for like, what's right in front of me. I, I have a very hard time still just resting in the moment and in the present. Because as a mom, it's like there's just so many things within the next hour, the day, the night like there's soccer and sports and meals and snacks and groceries and home and it there, the list never ends. And so it's very hard for me to just sit and take a deep breath and. Thank God for what I have right in front of me, and really cherish those times instead of going to that next thing.
2: So many of those things that you mentioned, we are responsible to do, but I think they can become distractions. Yes. From the sitting, when it, when you were alone, what did you? How how did God? Uh, how did you connect with Jesus?
0: I actually started recording a podcast. (laughs) I was like, "I'm starting a podcast. I'm broken, and I'm just in cancer recovery."
2: Oh my gosh! (laughs) I made my
0: husband. (laughs) I made my husband bring my desk up, and I like figured out how to do all the things. I bought like a microphone and all the stuff, (laughs) and I was like, "I'm starting a podcast because you know what? I'm going through a lot, and I bet other people are too." (laughs) And it was just. And that never got published. It was horrible, horrible idea. Because of course <laughs> I was rushing the entire process and God's like, oh my goodness, chill. So I think when that little couple of days was over, I started just listening to worship music. I couldn't read anything. I couldn't, I honestly couldn't even watch any shows. I was feeling so awful. I couldn't eat. I couldn't do anything. And so even like thinking of prayers, was even hard and thinking how to pray what to pray was difficult and so I just listened to so much worship and I just like live streamed worship I went on YouTube and watched worship I just had it on my I mean my um, airpods I just that was how I connected and then when I felt okay I journaled and journaled and journaled so those were my two things
2: Which is so interesting that you say that because um, I'm studying interpersonal neurobiology, which is kind of a new um, emerging science study of psychology and biology and how God has put us together and knit us so intricately. Um, Mm. This last year, my son has struggled more than ever. Worship music, Mm. just worship music Mm -hmm. has calmed my soul more than anything else because There's something about music, when it goes into our ears, it affects our entire body. It's a right brain experience. And that's where God can just speak so much to us. As you look back on who you were 10 years earlier versus who you became
0: through that, what is the difference? I would say I am more chill. (laughs) like i i see that the joy of the lord is my strength and that i don't have to be physically you know perfect and my body feels great and i don't i still have to be on meds for the rest of my life i still have to you know i still go through phases of needing blood work and scans and all the things but knowing that it's like i finally have this assurance that i know regardless of what i go through christ is with me that mm-hmm. all the valleys all the mountaintops every little thing he is so personal and he his love for me is so great and mm-hmm. obviously for his people but for personally it was this assurance of okay god we just went through all of this over mm-hmm. the last decade and i know i'm not going to be painless the rest of my life. There's going to be trials, but I know now that Christ is with me and that I have his word to stand on. And this foundation that is unshakable now that I did not have before. I love that
2: you included in the book about identity, because I'm hearing you say my identity before was in doing and performing and all these things that, are, that we can applaud as Christians and that are noticeable on the outside. Identity mm. is something that we internalize. So for that person in the valley who is trying to gain footing and they're questioning like, God, where are you? And who, who have you made me to be? Because I'm, I'm desperate and this dark veil is not going away. Yeah. What would you say to them?
0: I would always just point back to scripture like Philippians 3:10 that says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings. And reading how Christ had to suffer in order to live out this gospel story and message that God had for us. And if I'm supposed to share in his sufferings and I'm going through sufferings, there's a oneness with Christ that is unmatched from anything that I have ever gone through. It's always in the pain that I feel him the closest and that I know that I have this abiding relationship and this deep connection with my father because of the pain that I'm going through. Because I know no one else can restore. No one else can heal. No one else can redeem. There's not a human that can do any of that. So I better stick close to the one who can. And even in those places where you can't find your footing, if you have the Lord, it's going to be okay. And I know that that I hate it when people say that to me, like it's going to be okay because it feels like it's not at all in the moment. But knowing that the joy of the Lord is our strength, knowing that he is close, that he equips, that he's going to get us through all of those trials. The story's not over. Endurance is going to be learned and that it's not, this isn't going to last forever. Like what we face, those, those deep, deep pains, those darkest moments, that's not forever. And Mm to, you know, focus eternally.
2: Yeah, perspective is another thing that you brought out that I loved, and also about comparison. Um, there's no way when we compare, we're going to come out feeling better. So, so true. <laughs> oh, well, Nicole, where can people find you? And your book is being released. Is it today? Today?
0: Yes. Congratulations! <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'm just on Instagram at Nicole Jacobs Meyer, and then my website is nicolejacobsmeyer.com.
2: Nicole, thank you so much for this time and just for choosing to trust and battle it out when you could have given up and when you could have thank just you. walked away. You um, you definitely are in the battle still and mm-hmm. speaking to those in the battle. And I just thank you for your time today and for your work here.
0: Thank you so much, Colleen. It was a joy. It's good to talk with you. Thank you.
1: Thank you again for joining us today at Reframing Ministries. You can find the show notes in the description below. The Reframing Ministries podcast is a production of Insight for Living Ministries.